Well, welcome everyone to our Saturday service at 10 a.m. We want to welcome our online guests who are watching now. Um, and let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. We love you and grateful for an opportunity to share, to walk with you, Lord. I just give you praise for it. Thank you for the words that are going to go out today that will help someone with their life, Father. Whatever that is, Lord, help someone to change, to help someone to go in another direction, Lord. Help someone to transition, Father. And I give you praise for all that you're going to do today. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Um, well, um, fellas, Caleb and Aaron audience, and Booth, and yes, that's right. Um, well, this morning, we're going to talk about the sin of the golden calf. And I love this story so much that it's, it was hard for me to sleep sometimes when I think about talking about this story, because I think this is a foundational um, teaching for all of us that we need. And the question is, where is this sin of the golden calf in history? Where does the story really begin? And I have a timeline here that I thought is good. I used it before. Um, this actually is a Christian timeline. There's actually several different timelines, and they're close. And I say a Christian one. This is a scholarly Christian timeline. But there's also Jewish timelines, and they're slightly different on the numbers. They're just not exact. On this timeline, we have creation about 4,000 B.C., and it depends on the timeline. Some of them are just a little different. So, and again, this is just the one I've used for years. So I just like to kind of stay with this. Um, but the sin, of the, the sin of the golden calf. I like to paint a picture. All right, here's the picture. Moses is on top of the mountain receiving the Torah. Think about that. Moses on the mountain receiving the Torah. And they're at the bottom of the mountain worshiping this calf. I got it. It just makes sense to me that I want to know how in the world would they, could they do this thing when Moses is at the top of the mountain and he is up there receiving the Torah? How? Um, and let me read this. It says, Moses is on the top of the mountain receiving the Torah, and they are at the bottom of the mountain worshiping this calf. And good morning. The story is directly, is directly between the plans for the Mishkan. Um, it's almost like there was a pause to discuss something. So when you're reading the Torah and you see and we, we talk about the story of the, the golden calf, it's actually between when Moses, or I say Moses, when God begins to talk about the Mishkan. So you have the Mishkan, then you have the golden calf story. It's almost like he took a pause, like let me take a break. And then he goes back to talking about the Mishkan. So just to kind of put it in perspective. There are some that say that the story really happens before the plans for the Mishkan. And some that say that it's after the plans for the Mishkan. So it just kind of depends on who you're talking to. And I, and I say that because we need to understand when we look at the chapters in the scripture, in the Torah, the chapters are not, they're not inspired. That's, the chapters and verse were installed later. So the words, the, there are 22 letters that the Hebrew, the, the scripture uses to write the Torah. Those are inspired by God. 
but the chapters are not. So the, the divisions of the chapters, sometimes we have a discrepancy like maybe it should have stopped here or there, and that's okay. I think it's okay to think about those things. So I, think, I try to think about all that. Um, and the question is, where did the story actually start? Um, the person that put the chapter together probably thought it started in Exodus 32, verse 1. And let's read. I wanted to read it. In Exodus 32, verse 1, and this is a good place to start. It says, when the people saw that Moshe was taking a long time to come down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, get busy and make us gods to go ahead of us. Because this Moshe, the man that brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Sounds like a good place to start the story. Because it directly is talking about this Moshe, the man. Another good place was, if we go back to verse 31, this is just another possibility. And this is where they're talking about the tablets. And in Exodus 31, uh, verse 18, this is right before 32. It says, and when he had finished um, speaking with Moshe on Mount Sinai, Adonai gave him the two tablets of testimony, tablets of, so of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So this is another good place. So this is Exodus 31, 18, where this is a possibility of where the story could have started. Um, or you can think of it as starting at verse 32, verse 1. Either one's okay, but that's just, I'm just trying to lay some foundation. And just to read this again, to lay this foundation, um, 32, verse 1 says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Get up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses the man, and notice they said Moses the man. Why did they say Moses the man? Do you think they didn't know that Moses was a man? There, there, I think there's something that the Lord is showing us there. He said Moses the man. So there's a picture there that I think sometimes we miss, and we're going to get to that in a minute. I just want to throw that out there. So as for this Moses the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So they said this Moses the man we don't know what happened to him. All right? And we're going to come back to that. Now I want to lay a foundation. So today is approximately 2018 after the birth of our Messiah, right? It's 2018. Everybody knows that. If we don't know it's 2018, then we got a problem. I'm just joking. All right. Maybe we got problems. Here we have a timeline. That's why I like to use this timeline because it kind of correlates to what the timelines that we know. And if you go back, again, 4000 B.C. is creation. Um, if you want to think of the time when the sin of the golden calf occurred, it probably occurred, not probably, it, it occurred right after the Exodus, about 1446, if we look at our timeline. That was about the time of the sin of the golden calf. Um, and I read this, all right. And I said these days depends on the historian. I talked about that as well. And something I think that I think a lot of times we miss, the question is, are you a part of this family? And I sometimes listen to Christians when we talk about um, different things, and we miss 
the fact that we are a part of this larger family. I think that is a big deal. It's very small, but it's, it's huge. And I'm going to read this. There's several, several scriptures that talk about this. Uh, Ephesians 2.12 says, At that time, you were separate from Messiah. At that time. Can y'all remember at that time? Yeah, I remember. We should remember. We should never forget. Because at one moment, we were without Messiah. And then at the next moment, whenever we finally made a decision, whenever that was, we're now with Messiah. And now we are walking with him. Well, something happened. We, at that moment, gained this entire family. There's a huge family. Jews, Gentiles, everyone on this planet that believes in Messiah, we are a part of this family. And I think that's a big deal. Let me keep reading that scripture, Ephesians 2.12. It says, at that time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, that was our status before we knew the Messiah. We had no hope, no God. We can't claim those promises. We can't say the blessings of Abraham's are mine. We can't say that until you are with Messiah. And we, and we are with, with Messiah because we made a choice to receive him. It's a choice. It's completely a choice. And I believe even if you are Jewish by blood or not Jewish by blood, we all have to receive Messiah. And I think this is a stumbling block for many Jews. Because sometimes a lot of um, Jews, you could be in a place that you believe that it's automatic that you are part of God's family. And I think that's a lie. And that's a lie that could be a stumbling block for you because you say, you know what? I don't need to receive the Messiah. It's not a big deal that the Messiah came. Well, it's a huge deal. Because if you could be Jewish by birth and not receive the Messiah, and you are not a part of spiritual Israel at all. You could be part of blood Israel, and that's fine. I think that's a big deal as well. But to be a part of spiritual Israel, you need to receive the Messiah. And that's huge. That's huge. Every time the Torah is read, and I got this from the, it's, the, it's called the Stone Edition. It's a Humash and it has, Humash is awesome, but it's called the Stone Edition Humash. And the Stone Edition, because the, his name is, I forgot his, last, his first name, but his last name is Stone. He was one of the ones who put, it, put all of this together. That's why it's the Stone Edition. And he said, every time the Torah is read, Jews, blood, and Gentiles, not blood, relive the revelation at Sinai when our ancestors stood around a lowly mountain and heard God speak to them. See, that's our ancestors. And some of us have a problem with saying that if we're not Jewish by birth. Those are my ancestors too. And I think if we understand that, even though you may say, you know what, I'm adopted into the family. Well, adopted children have the same rights as natural children. And when we understand that, I understand that all of this timeline, when we talk about Israel, those are my family. Those are my cousins. Anyway. And we need to understand that. And I think if we know that, it shapes the way we think about history. And it shapes the way we think about God in a completely different way. I'm not thinking about, oh, this is this Jewish feast that they, that they, um, that they follow. No, these are God's feasts. And I found myself, and a lot of people connect to this, I've noticed, 
because um, at school I finally get an opportunity to take off from work for all the holidays. So when I tell people, I don't tell them I'm celebrating Jewish feasts. I tell them I'm celebrating feasts that are in the Bible. And almost everybody goes, oh, what feasts are in the Bible? And then I get an opportunity to tell them, oh, this is the feast that's in the Bible here or there. But if you say Jewish, and I'm not, I don't have a problem with saying Jewish, but sometimes it alienates people because they want to put you in a box. They want to say, you know, that's a Jewish thing. You can't celebrate that. Because, and if they say that, it's because they don't have a connection to their family. And that's all. And it's not a problem with that. I'm not upset with them, but I want to recognize my audience. See, whenever you're teaching or talking to anybody, you got to know who you're talking to. Because you don't want to talk about things that are either over their head or something that they've never seen before. It's like if I'm teaching kindergartners how to add and subtract. I need to know my audience. I need to not talk about things that they're not ready for. Because I'm talking to myself. Have you ever talked to somebody and taught somebody something and you've been talking to yourself? Be honest. Anybody ever did that? Okay, I have. Okay. I've talked to whiteboards for like 20 minutes. Just talking to a whiteboard. I look back and they're looking at me like, what is he talking about? Well, that's why sometimes we have to, we got to pause and recognize our audience. And we have to learn how to connect with people. And the scripture talks about um, connecting with people through the eyes. That's a big deal to connect with people. Because, again, you don't want to lose people. Because if not, you're just, you're just talking to yourself. So, all right, let's keep going. Sometimes it's difficult to read about past events with any type of suspense because you already know what happened. So sometimes when we read the scripture, it's hard to get into their world because it's already done. Think about it if you were enslaved in your family. And think about it, they were enslaved for over 400 years. Think about how many generations it was that were enslaved. That means that was your parents, your parents' parents, their parents' parents' parents, their parents' parents' parents. So all they knew was slavery. Then all of a sudden, you start hearing about, maybe you're a child in this situation. All of a sudden, you start hearing about this Moses guy and going to Pharaoh talking about let my people go. You start hearing this picture. Now, you got to visualize yourself. You don't know what's going to happen next. It's probably pretty terrifying for people to know that they were in this it was slavery, but it was kind of their comfort because that's all they knew. That was their life. And now God has come to them through Moses, through many life situations, and he's going to remove them out of slavery. Well, they didn't know what was going to happen. I want to paint that picture. And I had an example here of sometimes we read stories and we don't know the outcome, and it's hard to even hear the story without just judging it. Like, example, um, my father was diagnosed with cancer. But it was about three years ago. So he's okay right now. So when you hear that story, since I said he was okay now, it took away the suspense. Does that make sense? Um, I have another uncle. He was diagnosed with cancer as well, but he's still in the fight. He's still going through things. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's on the other side because I'm still in the story if that makes sense. So I think a lot of times when we read the scripture, we need to do our due diligence to try to read it in a way to not know the outcome. Even though we know the outcome, we know what happened, but I think it'll change something because it's almost like I can relate better with my ancestors because I can see where they come from. 
Because if I already know what happened, it's like, why am I even reading it? Because I want to, it's like, it's with every year that we do Passover, we're supposed to indulge in all the elements of Passover like we're there. It's a challenge, but I think something, that's something that God wants us to do so that we can relate to them. Um, my next question is, how do we know that there was an Israel or a people that communicated with the Creator? How do we even know that? We know that because the Torah tells that. And we have to have a lot of faith in what the Torah says. Um, the Torah, and this comes from the um, Chumash as well. It says the Torah is the eternal living monument of God's rendezvous with Israel. I love that. The nation's raison d'etre, that's just a Hebrew word, of the soul that enables the nation to survive every trial. I love that so much I want to read it again. It says the Torah is the eternal living monument of God's rendezvous with Israel, the nation's raison d'etre, the soul that, a nation, that enables the nation to survive every trial. It's like the soul. And if we didn't have the Torah, we would not know about Israel. Imagine life without the Torah. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It is for me. It's a very scary thought. What if we had life, but imagine people who don't do any diligence or even try to study the Torah. And they're living life. And they're trying to figure things out without the scripture. That's tough. And I think if we see it that way, it'll help us to relate to other people better. So when you see somebody and we're going through different things, instead of judging them saying, you know, I can't believe they're doing this. or, Well, think about life from their vantage point. Think about what they're going through. Think about from A, B to C. They don't, maybe they don't know the scripture. Maybe they've never heard it. Because sometimes we assume that everyone knows what we knows. And that is a bad assumption. That is a bad assumption. Uh, and, we, and again, if we do that, it's hard for us to relate to people, I believe. Um, the Torah describes the events that we call creation. Um, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. See, God, in no uncertain terms, he told us that he is the one who created all of us. And we need to understand that. And again, this is just laying the foundation of the scripture. Um, day one, God created the light. Day two, he created the sky. Day three, he created the dry ground. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, birds, animals, and the ocean. Day six, land, animals, and us. So God, in no uncertain terms, told us he is in charge. He created all of this. And if we understand that, that will change our, our worldview. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we were created in God's image. The one who created all this. I think this should change our outlook. Just that simple verse. To say we were created in God's image. To know that, that should change how we relate to other people. Because I know I come from God. I know that I am blood bought, spirit taught, scripture um, I'm blood bought, spirit taught, scripture quoting, Bible toting believer. And if I believe I have that mindset to know that, then anything that comes my way, I'm just going to be, if that makes sense. Like we were talking about um, this morning, um, almost everybody was late this morning. Some people are here now. Uh, not to pick on anybody. But anyway, we know the chairs are always here. We notice that? That's very simple. You say, why are you talking about the chairs? We need to learn how to be like the chairs. It's simple. We need to learn how to be. See, when I know who I am, 
I know I'm made in his likeness and image. I am, I walk with God. It's not that I'm trying to become something. I am created in his image. That's who I am. And when you, it's like your, it's like everything else will flow out of your identity. It's like, here's another example. What if I told you that at this moment that you just, you just received an inheritance from Bill Gates? You're now a gate. Everybody here are gates. Y'all, y'all, are y'all okay with that? Do you think that's going to change your demeanor? Some of y'all might get up and leave right now. Just, I'm just joking. I got to go shopping. Right? See, that's going to change your perception about life when you know who you are. It's like I'm not trying to make anything up. It's like I know that God has blessed me. I know that I have favor everywhere I go. Why? Because God has put that on the inside of me. It's not even a, it's an afterthought. It's not even a question. It's like I love the story of David and Goliath. Y'all know the story. But David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? David was like, I can't even believe y'all are even having a thought about somebody trying to defy my God because David knew who he was. And I believe when you know who you are, nothing can push you anyway. Because you know who you are, and you're going to walk with him. You're going to continue to walk with him, and it's just going to get better. Uh, Rabbi Renee talks about as we walk with God, it's like, a, it's like we're on a spiral. As we, as we do all the feasts and festivals, we start getting a little closer. As we do a commandment, we get a little closer. We're walking with him, and the spiral is going up closer and closer to walk with the Lord. See how it's about closeness? And as we do things, we just begin to walk with him better. And we get closer every single time. And we should be even more, um, I'd say, knowing of our identity every day. It's like me and, me and, um, me and my, my queen. We've been, uh, if I forget your name, then that's a shame. <laughs> uh, but we've been married for 27 years. And when we started off with our relationship, we knew each other, but okay but we didn't know each other that well right and as I always joke with her you know don't say nothing um, I always tell her I know her better than anybody on this planet except from God and I really believe that because we've known each other since we've been that you know for so long but it's the same way with our relationship with God we start off at a certain place and our relationship just develops it gets better as we walk with him we get a little closer a little closer and I believe we should be to the point that we walk with God so close, that it's so intense with our relationship that we hear from him everywhere. We're in the mall, and something happens, and God is speaking to you, hey, you need to go over and talk to this child over here because this is happening over here. And I believe it needs to be that close and intimate with our relationship. I believe I want, I would love for my relationship to be so close one day, I want to be like Enoch. We know what happened to Enoch said he was walking with God, and then he just took him. That's close. That, that's close. And I, I even like when, um, when Moses, Moses wanted to get that close with God. He said, he, but he told Moses that I can't show you my face. And I'm ahead of myself on uh, my notes. But I believe that we, Moses couldn't get that close to God because I believe when our soul gets that close to God, it kind of like just sucks you in. And I believe that's how, and that's, and I don't think that's a bad thing. 
I think, and some, some people may say, you know, that's suicidal. No, man. That just means I want to walk with God that close. I want to be that close to him to walk. And Paul said that in the Brit Hadashah. He said, I would far much better, I would rather be in heaven. That's what he said. Paul said that. Some of it was Paul suicidal. But he said, you know what? It is more needful for me to be here with you. See, God gave us all a mission. God gave all of us something to do. And all of us, we all started off as fighters. Do y'all know what I'm, what I'm talking about is I've been studying, um, we've been looking at, uh, Daphne studies anatomy a lot, but I was looking at the sperm cell. Okay, don't fight me on this. You know, a sperm cell, you know, a sperm cell is like 100 million sperm cells, and only one that fights is the winner for the egg. Think about that. I know it's simple. But guess what? You were a fighter from the beginning. We're all fighters. That one, that one cell made it, and that's why you're here. Because God has on your head, he's put on the top of Mr. Jonathan back there, he's put on you a mission for something to do for him. And when that mission's up, then we go on to be with the Lord. I think it's that simple. And I believe if we treat life that way, it just puts everything in perspective because you know who you are. I'm not trying to figure it out because I know I am. God created me in his likeness. He created me in his image, and I'm going to walk with him, period, no matter what. All right. The history of mankind, and this is just laying a foundation for the sin of the golden calf. Uh, the history of mankind can, become, can be summed up in the seven C's of creation. Anybody heard of Ken Ham, Answers in Genesis? That's where I got this from. Um, the creation, we know about creation. Corruption, corruption is when man sinned. Catastrophe, which is the flood. Confusion, which is the Tower of Babel. Um, Christ, or Messiah. The cross, which is the Messiah was crucified, and consummation, which is the end of days. And it's just good to have a big picture of all of creation so we can kind of understand where we're going with this. And I just, just came to my mind, I had somebody else to think about. Moses, um, if you look at his life, his purpose, I, we know what Moses' purpose was, to bring Israel out, and that's one of his purposes. But Moses lived for 120 years. His, his life was in stages. On the, the Jewish tradition says he was born on the seventh of Adar, and he died on the seventh of Adar. That's awesome. Is that true? I don't know, but it sounds good. Uh, but that's Jewish tradition. Uh, but he lived, his life, you can divide it up into 40-year increments. 40 years, he was in Egypt. So he was learning under Egypt. He was being developed under Egypt. Like some of us are developed by the world. I'm developed by the world because I, I teach. So I'm developed by the school system, the educational system. His next 40 years in life, he was in the, he was in the desert. He was shepherding sheep. He went from Egypt for 40 years to shepherding sheep for 40 years. Say, so why is he in the desert shepherding sheep? Moses didn't, make, I'm sure on his 38th year, he didn't realize he was getting ready to, um, to walk Israel out of slavery. He didn't know that at all. Think about that. That's why you got to look at stories, and we need to be able to see it from their vantage point. He's out in the desert taking care of these sheep. They're stinking, you know, I'm sure. Think about that whole big picture. In the last 40 years of his life, he's shepherding his people. He's, 
he's, God is calling him to take them out of Israel. And I believe that's how we need to see our lives because God has put purpose in each one of us. You may say, today, I don't see the purpose of God for my life. Well, it might not be for another 10 years. Maybe God has you in a place and he's teaching you something. Maybe he's teaching us to, I don't know, it could be something so simple as creating a routine in your life so that he can begin to use you. Because routines are big. Um, the month of Elul, I love it. I, I talked about this before, but it's, it was a time for us to kind of restart some things and to begin to do things better for him. And there's one simple thing that I am very proud of that I've been working on. And I probably told y'all this, you may forget, but anyway, I'm working on flossing my teeth. Is that a big deal? It's a big deal to me, okay? And I've been pretty consistent with flossing my teeth every day. So what does that have to do with God? It has everything to do with God. Because maybe he's developing me on being excellent in taking care of my mouth. And maybe later, he's going to use me in excellence in doing something else. Does that make sense? I absolutely love that. God has also gave me the opportunity um, to talk to the football team at my high school. And I think I told you all that. That is a great, I can't even tell you, my words can't even express how grateful I am. The coach was looking for somebody. He was like, and they even, at school, they called me, some of them called me uh, Pastor uh, Farrell. I'm not a pastor. But that's just, that's their perception. And I'm okay with that. I really am. Some of the coaches like, here come Pastor Farrell. Yes, give me some dap. You know, but I have an opportunity to talk to those young men and who knows the seeds that are being sown in those times that we get to talk. You know, and last week I was just telling Daphne, and I'm a little off topic, but we'll get back to it because we'll be talking about purpose. Um, some of those, they were sharing some deep stuff. And we had, I made them um, create their own goal. They had to create a goal for family, spiritual, and what was the other one? Uh, an athletic goal. And they shared it. And some of the goals that some of those young men were sharing were, I need to spend more time with my dad. I was like, wow, this is coming from teenagers that a lot of us have negative perceptions of. Because sometimes, how many of us have, sometimes have negative perception of teenagers, some teenagers walking down the street, sagging their pants that you want to go smack? Don't be honest. Don't, don't tell me. Like, yes. But you know what? There are a lot of teenagers out there who really love the Lord, and they really genuinely want to follow him, but they really need help. You know, I have some teenagers in my, and I'm not definitely saying no names, but I have some teenagers who are dealing with transgender issues, like guys who believe they want to be girls in, in both ways. And sometimes we go, you know what? I can't believe that. Well, we just need to shut up because we don't know what they've been dealing with all their lives. Maybe this is all they saw. You know, maybe they were molested as a child, and now this is a way for them to, you get my point? That's why we need to, when we read stories or hear things, we need to go back to the foundation. And we need to go from the as basic level as we can to understand it. I think that's why a lot of us, a lot of times, we don't understand any concept like mathematics. We don't understand the end because we don't understand two plus two. Because it's easy to get to the end and you, get, you look at all this other stuff. You know, somebody, um, we were talking in class, she, she went to the board and she just scribbled something up there. And she said, Mr. Farrell, that's what my brain feels like right now. I was like, wow. 
<laughs> I said, okay, well, we need to work on that. We've got to figure that out. But you know what? The reason the brain feels like that is because we're unraveling stuff that's there to get back to the basics. And I think that's what we need to do with scripture. That's why it's so important for me to do a lot of foundation so that we can understand the foundation and then grow from there. Get the point? Okay, let me get back to my notes. All right, there is a midrash that describes the offering, the korban, that Adam brought to his maker after they sinned. I love this. According to the midrash, it was completely Adam's idea. That's why when offerings, and offering is another name for sacrifice. And I say, I don't like using the S word. The S word is sacrifice because the, the sacrifice gives an annotation, it gives a connotation that we're giving up something. And we're not giving up anything. If you study that word, it's really the word korban. That's what it is. And it just means we need, it's, it, it's a way of doing something to draw near to God. That's all an offering is. It's a way to draw near to God. We do things now to draw near to God. That was just a way at that moment to draw near to God. And let me keep going. Um, according to the Midrash, it was completely Adam's idea. That's why when offerings were brought to the temple, it was a sweet-smelling savor. I, the sweet-smelling savor, and, and this is something I thought about. Does God like the smell of burning lamb? Rams. You think God just like Rams? Anybody who likes who likes grilled food in here? I like grilled food. I do. I love grilled food. Okay. Now we grill other things because we don't. I'm not eating meat, um, so we can grill other things. But I still love the smell of grilled food. Why does God love the smell of burning lambs, rams, and other things? You ever thought about that? It says here. Uh, let me read this scripture. Leviticus 1.9 says, But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn it all, all of it on the altar as a burnt offering and a food offering with a pleasing aroma. That pleasing aroma means a sweet-smelling savor. So it says God loved the smell of lambs, rams, and bulls. There's something else. And that's why when we read scripture, we need to understand that there's always another level to something if we're not really understanding the big picture at that moment. Does that make sense? There's always something deeper. Because sometimes we're reading, we go, you know what, I don't get it, I stop reading. I'm going to watch TV. No, we need to turn it over. We need to turn it over again. Sometimes, I think when I read the Midrash, it feels like I'm cheating. You know what I mean by cheating? It's like the, the, the sages or the Hazal, they've been studying the scripture for thousands of years. And that's why the Midrash is so important because we get to get their insight into what they've been studying. You know, some of it, when you read it, you go, oh, I think this guy was drunk. You know, or I think he was all off on left field. And that's okay. But I think we need to do our due diligence to discern. All right, let me keep it going. Um, the sweet smell is his knowing. This is beautiful. The sweet smell is his knowing that it was your free will that you brought the gesture to him. I believe that's what this, the sweet smell is. It's like when your child cleans their room without you telling them. Isn't that beautiful? That is a sweet, it's like, because we can tell our kids or, you know, ask them to do certain things and then they'll just do it. But the reason they did it, because we told them. 
but it's a beautiful thing when someone does something completely on their own. That's why this Midrash um, says that Adam brought the first offering completely on his own. And that's why it was a sweet-smelling savor. Now, I want you to carry that first offering on down to all the offerings. See, this was, this was his intention on the offerings. It wasn't just, I need to bring a lamb so that I could be, um, so that I could atone for my sins. No, that wasn't it at all when you begin to understand it. He brought those lambs. It was a way because it was a gesture to bring and draw close to him. That's all it was. And we make, I just think we mess it up so much all over the place. Uh, let me read in a few other places where it says the sweet smelling saber. Now when I arrived at Trails, the good news of Messiah, and the door was opened to me by the Lord. I'm in Corinthians 2, 12 through 17. So I said farewell to them. I set out for Macedonia, but thanks be to God who a Messiah always leads us in triumphal procession. And, though us, and through us reveals everywhere the aroma See, the aroma of the knowledge of him. For we are the aroma of Messiah to God. I am the aroma of Messiah to God because it's my free will. Understand that. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, to the one, to the one, an aroma from death to death, the other, an aroma from life to life, who is competent for these things. For we are not like many, peddling the word of God. Rather, in Messiah, we speak, with, we speak in the sight of God with sincerity as persons sent from God. I love that. Genesis 8, 21 says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. That's that wording, the pleasing aroma. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither Will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done? See, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. See, when we do things on our own accord, when we, see, I don't have to, to, to stand here and teach. I am so grateful I get to do that. It is an honor. It is a privilege that I get to stand here and speak to you guys. And I think if we see life that way, it changes everything. You know, and it's an honor, and as we do th anything for God, and a lot of times we will lean towards the negative because it's easier. You know, I have to watch myself in school. You know, almost every, on every Thursday, when I see teachers walking by, everybody says, I can't wait to Friday. It's almost over. You know, it's like, but it's like, it's almost a natural thing for us to, to go toward the negative. We have to work at saying those positive things. I'm grateful I have another day. I'm grateful that today is Monday. I'm grateful today is Friday. I get another opportunity to teach these kids. See the difference? It's completely different. But I think that's the sweet-smelling savor for God. And in the Hebrew, I just, I just love studying the Hebrew. Um, the Hebrew for that is reak, nichok. Like, okay, anyway. But that just means sweet-smelling savor. And, all right. And this was something I thought was interesting. Um, Y'all remember the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, what's next? Pride of life. The pride of life. Notice what sense wasn't used. There was no smell. Just think about that. There was no smell used. So that smell, I think, and this is just me. This is uh, Terry 101. 
I believe God reserved that for him. See, and notice all over he says it was a sweet-smelling this. That wasn't you. That wasn't one of the sins that Adam and Eve messed up on. That wasn't something that drew them near. Did that make sense? All right, that's just me. All right, how do you know that Adam brought an offering? It does not say that in the Torah or the Bible, but it's in a midrash. A midrash. And, and I wrote here, I perceived that some of you were thinking this, and it's in my notes. Anyway, how do we know that Adam actually brought an offering? Well, sometimes we can just kind of go backwards and figure things out. Because who else brought offerings? Did Noah bring offering? Yeah, Noah, Noah brought an offering. Did Cain and Abel bring an offering? Yeah. Yes. Did Abraham, he brought an offering? I was a little out of, out of order there, but yes, he brought the offering. So if I go backwards, I can just look at it and see, I, I would almost guarantee that Adam brought an offering. I don't read it in scripture. It's kind of like this. Uh, if I look at a pattern, okay, I'm going math again, sorry. If I go 10, 12, 14, what's my next number? I know it's 16, right? Because I see the pattern. Well, if I can go backwards and see the pattern, you see this all over Scripture. Even though it's not stated directly, it's there. It's just not saying it, but it's there. So that's why a lot of times I say I feel like I'm cheating when I read the Midrash because sometimes the, the rabbis, they'll take you there. They'll talk about things that are not in the Torah directly, but if you see it, it's there. You just have to open your eyes. I can't prove it. I can't read it directly. I can't look at Genesis 1, whatever, and it says Adam brought an offering. But I believe it's there. And I believe Adam brought that offering of his own free will. And if you understand that foundation, it'll change everything that we know about the temple and the Torah and the bringing of the offering. And the Luchot, which we're going to get to, the Luchot is the commandments. And the Egel, which is the golden calf, they're all connected. And that's where we're going. But today we're just laying a foundation. And I know we only got five minutes. Um, but next week we're actually going to get into all the details of the sin of the golden calf. And you know what? I want to leave off with this. Because I want to give you an overview of what we are going to talk about. All right. The sin of the golden calf. Stage one. Moses backs God in a corner. Say, how can a man back God in the corner? We're going to talk about that next week. It says, Moses was telling God or saying to God, where will this take you? He said, how is this going to look to Israel? How is this going to look to Egypt and the rest of the world? Because, and this is what Moses is doing this. He's like a lawyer and he's laying it out. It's awesome. We're going to, anyway. Stage two, Moses expresses God's anger in a lesser form. That's because God said, I'm going to wipe them off the earth. That's what he said. He told and Moses like, whoa, 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 whoa. God, we're going to need to calm down, please. OK, because if God gets angry, if God is angry at you, what do you think might happen? If God say he's going to wipe you off the earth, it's, you're, it's nothing. It's over. OK, it's not even a question. It's, it's a done deal. So Moses went to advocate for us like a messiah. We're going to talk about that later. Anyway, so stage two, Moses expresses God's anger in a lesser form. He breaks the commandment, the Luchot. 3,000 men are slew. And I believe that was Moses. We'll talk about that. I don't believe that was God. It could have been, and that wouldn't be any lesser or better, but I believe that was Moses 
in his anger, even though he told God not to be angry, then Moses went and got angry. He's like, God, don't be angry, and now I'm angry. How many of us do that? We tell somebody not to do something, and then we go and do it ourselves. Okay, I'm raising both hands, okay? That's just the way it is. Like, I'm like, Daphne, calm down. And then I go, and I get even more angry than she was. Oh, I got some stories. Okay, I'll leave that alone. All right, stage three, she left. Okay, see, I can tell the stories now that she left. She's gone. Okay, I won't. I'll wait. All right, stage three, Moses does not agree with the plan. And the plan was, God was saying, you know what? I'm just going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start again with you. Moses like, whoa, I don't think this is a good idea. And we're going to talk about this next week. We're going to actually read the scripture. Um, he is the key participant. God is not angry with Moses. Think about it. Was he angry with Moses? No. He said, if you destroy them, you wipe me out as well. So Moses was placing himself in with the people, even though he didn't sin. That's a whole, com- we won't even, we can't go there yet. Stage four, God will now lead the people after a lot of re- reconciliation. It's almost like the relationship was so broken. Think about standing at the edge of a cliff. You're about to go over. That's how bad the relationship was broken. The relationship was broken that bad. And now God and the people are beginning to develop a relationship better. So stage five, um, oh, stage four, um, God will now lead the people into the promised land. No mercy, all business. When you see it, we'll read it. But an angel will bring them in. People are characterized as the people and not my people. There's a difference. There's a big difference, right? Um, the place where I told you I would take you could and not person. It was, he was kind of cold. You ever been around somebody, you know, and maybe they're whoever, and they're just not, they're not that friendly. This is why everybody loves going to uh, Chick-fil-A. Because when you go to Chick-fil-A, what happens? They say, um, how you doing, sir? How you doing, ma'am? Can we help you? Um, they have great service. You go to another place, they're like, here's your hamburger. Get out of here. You know, like, whoa, I ain't going back there no more, you know. But I think that's the difference here. All right. And stage five, the people mourn because an angel would bring them in and not God. They choose to mourn. They take off their jewelry. What's their jewelry? And the Midrash talks about this jewelry. It's anyway. Next week, be here on time at 10 o'clock. It's anyway, because we're going to go talk about this next week. Um, they first took off their jewelry to make the calf. They tried to allow the calf to solve their problem of closeness to God. And this is what it says in the Midrash. And think about us. This is a great place to end. How many of us do things to take us away from our closeness with God? Like, uh, it's almost like you have a, a, a surrogate and you need to be the one in there walking with God. And I think this is a great place to end right here. So let's pray. And I think that's it for today. All right, let's pray. Father, we just love you and thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for allowing us to draw near to you, allowing us to come close to you and to walk with you, Lord. Lord, I pray that the words that were spoken will, oh, encourage someone to just follow you better, to walk with you, and just to get into your word and study, Lord, because as we study from you, we get a little closer, we get a little better, 
and our relationship grows stronger, and we begin to know who we are more. And I give you praise for all the things you're going to do in Yeshua's name. Amen.